It's time for the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast with CNHI Sports Indiana's George Brimmer, your number one source for the latest Colts news, information, and discussion. It's time to kick things off. Welcome to the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast. I'm your producer, Heather B., and I'm here with your host, CNHI Sports Indiana Colts beat writer, George Brimmer. The Colts are coming off a two-game win streak after going down to Tennessee and taking the 1917 victory over the Tennessee Titans, and then coming home and winning 27 to 24 over the Falcons in the home opener. George, are you surprised that the Colts are at two and one through the first three games of the season? Not particularly. And first of all, I want to say because I'm. We're all certain Jacoby Brissett's listening to our to our podcast, of course, and so he'll be happy to hear you call it a win streak. I know he he said earlier this week that uh, he didn't know if two games counted as a win streak, so I thought maybe they needed to win another one uh, to get into that that range. But you know, way back when you go back into to training camp, which feels like it was ten years ago now at this point, and there was still a thought that Andrew Luck was going to be the quarterback of this team, but you were starting to wonder whether or not that would happen week one and. You were looking at the first month of the schedule and trying to figure out what's a best-case scenario with Jacoby Brissett running things. And at that point in time, I thought this team might be 2-2 two and two coming out of that, that stretch, but I had them losing to the Falcons at that point. Uh, but after the first two weeks of the regular season played out, we saw the way this team was meshing together and how they were playing on the field. I picked them to beat the Falcons uh, last week. So, you know, I guess... I'm not surprised right now. They, they, the games have come out the way that I picked them each week. Uh, but I, I think that in some ways they're ahead of schedule. Uh, I think on offense, I think you're starting to see some things click a little bit faster than, than maybe you would expect. Uh, although the running game is probably not a big shock in that regard because it's really a continuation of a lot of things they did last year. Uh, but in other ways, I think they're behind schedule a little bit. I think that's what's exciting about this team right now. I don't, I don't think the defense has come together as quickly as, as maybe some people would hope in their second year under uh, Matt Eberflus. And I feel like they're 2-1. and one. They've played some good football. But there's obviously a lot of room for improvement in there right now. And I think that's a really good thing for this football team. When you're winning games and you're coming out with ideas of how to get better, you should be as excited as a football team. Definitely one of those areas of concerns is the defense. In the second half, as the Falcons were making their comeback, they were 8-for-8 on converting third downs. Should we be really concerned about the defense, particularly the lack of a rush up front? The pass rush to me was kind of interesting that it disappeared. The first two weeks, that wasn't a problem at all. You had eight sacks in two games and seven different guys getting those sacks. And it felt like things were coming along the way the team wants to see them evolve. You know, guys were coming at quarterbacks in waves. It wasn't all relied on Justin Houston or Kamoka Ture or just one element of that defensive line. It was much more about bodies, throwing waves of bodies at people, making sure that there were fresh legs, at least as fresh as possible in the game at all times, wearing down offensive lines over the course of the game. That didn't happen at all against Atlanta, and I think that was one of the more disappointing things about that second half. They really were unable to affect Matt Ryan, and you've got to give some credit. You know, the, the really good quarterbacks in this league, and I still think Matt Ryan is in that group, they're going to find ways to beat the pass rush. You know, they're smart. They've seen it all before. They're going to find ways to get rid of the ball quick and make plays. And Atlanta has three of the best wide receivers in the league with 
Julio Jones, Calvin Ridley, Mohamed Sanu. And I thought going into that game, it was unrealistic to expect the Colts to shut down those receivers. The best chance you had of slowing down that offense was affecting Matt Ryan. The fact that they weren't able to do that is disappointing. The fact they were able to win the game anyway should be encouraging. But you do. you got to find out why weren't they winning those one-on-one matchups up front because that's the key. Eberflus, as the year goes on and as the young guys get kind of used to the system and this unit grows together uh, more solidly, he will start getting more tricky. We saw that with him last year. He likes to run lots of different blitzes, bring disguises in, in, in what he's doing, and we haven't seen a lot of that yet this year. I think a lot has to do with a lot of rookies that are they're having to play. Uh, earlier than expected and so that's affecting things but the bottom line is they've got to be better and they'll be the first to say that this isn't a team that uses excuses I mean, the franchise quarterback retired two weeks before the season and they're still two and one they're not going to complain about being banged up on defense they understand whoever's out there's got to go and do the job and the second half sunday they didn't get it done I think it's fixable things. Get that pass rush back up and running and you know eighth rate on third down look this defense is designed to make people go the long route to the end zone. It's designed to drag drives out, make them take their time, make it difficult for teams to find that end zone with the hope that a sack or a penalty or something derails that drive in the course of the process. But eight for eight on third down is not going to be good enough anytime, anyway. It doesn't matter. That... That needs to improve. So it's situational football that they're really focused on this week. And we'll see because Derek Carr is another guy who likes to throw the ball and can hurt you if you don't get in there and, and put some pressure on him. One area that was of concern going into the game kind of resolved itself during the game. Adam Vinatieri was perfect on the day, made all his kicks, scared everybody with that first field goal as it bounced around and then finally fell through. But I think he finally shook off the cobwebs that have been affecting him and really found his rhythm. Yeah, and I'll just put a caveat out there you know, right now. If you hear any weird breathing or any odd sounds, it's just our West Highland Terrier, Indy. He's trying to get famous, wants to be a part of the podcast here. Uh, so if you hear anything like that in the background, there's no intruders, nobody else breaking in, just our dog trying to, trying to make a name for himself out there. Gotta expect, you gotta respect the hustle. Uh, as far as Adam and Terry goes, yeah, I, you know, I expected this performance a week earlier. I really thought he'd go into Tennessee and he'd put all the questions behind him. Uh, it didn't happen there. The struggles got even worse with the two missed extra points. Was touch and go there at the end of the game when the, what should have been a four point lead was a two point lead. And it looked like the Titans had two shots in the final five minutes. The defense stepped up both times, made plays to win that game. Uh, but you know, I was surprised at that point that the Vinatieri didn't turn it around. Uh, it was good to see this week. But it's only one week, and I think that's going to be the way the Colts have to approach this moving forward. You know, uh, just about any other kicker in the league wouldn't have survived this stretch. But I think, obviously, Adam Vinatieri with his 24 years and his future Hall of Fame resume, he's earned a little bit longer leash than most. And I think it's it's a tribute to him that he was able to shake things off. You mentioned, you know, being down on the field, that you thought the way the first field goal went in, bouncing off the upright uh, and then bouncing through – it was kind of good in the long run because it sort of took some of that pressure off. It it made the guys laugh a little bit. I think from there, it took a lot of that that mental hurdle away. And I don't think there was any question on, on each extra point. That seemed to be, and the other field goal, uh, they all seemed to be good from the moment they left his foot. 
Yeah, the, after that first field goal, he obviously got a huge cheer from the crowd uh, and congratulations from his teammates. And you could see he had that wry little smile that Adam occasionally gets. You could tell it, maybe that got him over the hump, took away those last little nagging thoughts in the back of his mind saying, can I still do this? And yeah, you know, the rest of the kicks, he seemed flawless. His motion was smooth and he, he seemed to be back to old Adam. So hopefully, you know, that's what we see going forward. Another top performer in the Falcons game was the quarterback. Jacoby Brissett started out that game on a tear. He was 16 of 16 to start the day. And that was just an unbelievable stretch there. Yeah, 300-yard passing days, first of the season, finished with 310 yards, two touchdowns, had that 16 of 16 start. Uh, really good signs from him because I think a lot of people were wondering coming into that game, can he force the ball downfield a little bit, get bigger chunks? He was able to do that at times. Uh, and now he's in the same boat that Vinatieri's in. You know, I, I think it's and, – and Frank Reich brought it up earlier this week. Okay, that's one great game. That's the standard that, that we want you to play to. Now what do you do moving forward? And I think that's where he stands. He looked really good. Uh, in fact, I, I, one of the comments Reich had after the game was – he didn't think that a quarterback can play much better than Jacoby played on Sunday. So that's, you know, that's obviously high praise from a guy who's been in the league for 14 years, been around guys like Philip Rivers, Carson Wentz, Andrew Luck, firsthand, uh, Peyton Manning. You know, he was here when, when Manning was here. Uh, so for him to come out and say Jacoby played as good as a quarterback can play, that means a lot, you know, coming from Frank Reich. That, but again, it's one week, and now we'll see how it how it translates to the Raiders. I do think it's interesting. You look at these first three weeks; they were all unique defensive challenges. We talk a lot about the Chargers' pass rush, and you know having Melvin Ingram and, and Joey Bosa and what those guys can do to disrupt an offense. The Titans had what Reich referred to as a Rolodex defense, just dial up a different play on every snap, give everybody a different look. They were able to confuse Jacoby a few times and and cause some trouble that way. And Atlanta, too, with Vic Beasley and and, and some of their own pass rush, Tack McKinley, you know, they're a team with a lot of speed on defense, ability to get home. And so now you got a Raiders defense that's been struggling, hasn't shown much of a pass rush at all in the first three weeks. And so it'll be interesting to see if if the Colts can take advantage of that. I really think that's going to be not just for Jacoby, but team in general it's going to be one of the interesting things this week you look at the first three weeks of the season they're all kind of toss-up games at best or the Colts were underdogs and now they're coming into a week where the last I checked they're seven point favorites we can say that now because gambling is legal in Indiana right we can talk about the the point spread uh so you know they're seven point favorite and it'll be interesting to see how the team responds that way we know what this unit can do with their backs against the wall. We saw them come back from 1-5 and five last year and make the playoffs. We know how they responded to the Andrew Luck situation. How will they deal with some success now? You know, it's one thing to, to go through adversity and, and when it's you against the world. Now how will they do when people are saying and writing good things about them and they're supposed to win a football game? I think that's one of the interesting things coming up on Sunday. But then the other big question with Jacoby is, when is he going to stop trying to kill you on the sideline? Yeah, I, there was a sequence of plays when they were trying to score the touchdown in the end zone that ultimately resulted in a field goal that he kept rolling to my side and the ball kept going over my head. Uh, one of the balls actually did hit the back wall and bounce up and hit me in the back. So Jacoby, please stop. I, my mother worries about me. She thinks I'm going to get ran over and 
we don't need that. The lady beside me actually did get ran over um, on the one touchdown, so I at least I escaped that. Uh, there's two plays from the Falcons game that stick out in my mind. The first one is the touchdown to Zach Pascal. Can you talk a little bit about how that play developed and what you saw from it? That was interesting because you, you saw obviously live how wide open Pascal got in the play fake to Naheem Hines out in the flat that kind of drew the defense up. Uh, and then talking with people after the game, talking with Frank Reich, talking with Pascal, some of those guys, you learn that originally that play was drawn up for T.Y. Hilton. He was supposed to be the receiver on that. He's supposed to get that touchdown. And they looked at, at everything about the play, and they decided, you know, if you take Pascal and you put him out there at the point, and he's the lead blocker for the fake screen, you're going to sell that screen better because people expect that to be something Pascal's going to do when he comes into the game. And with him out there, it makes it a viable option. If the defense gives you a look, we're throwing it to Hines as the best choice. Pascal's out there to block for him and help him get the yardage. So it was the right move there. Then they move T.Y. Hilton to where Pascal had been previously on that play. And Hilton is a great decoy. He's irresistible for a defense in that situation. If you're in that area of the field as a defender and you're biting on the Hines fake, then you're coming up to get him. If you're not biting on Hines, you're probably falling Hilton into the end zone, which is exactly what the Falcons did. And then Zach Pascal's left to walk in untouched. It was great play design, great execution, and it was an, an on-purpose reward. Intentional was the word I was looking for there. Uh, reward for Zach Pascal. He's a guy who does a lot of dirty work for this team, lots of plays on special teams, lots of blocking. And Frank Reich said, here's a chance to give this guy a spotlight play. And I think it's one of the things they do to kind of keep the guys who don't always get the ball interested in this offense. You know, there's a lot of weapons and so you find ways to draw up plays for them from time to time, and that one worked to perfection. The other play that sticks out for me is Mac's 26-yard run, but I, I think the most phenomenal part of that is, again, the play of Quentin Nelson. And he is, you know, he's like the only guard in the league where we have a highlight reel, but we do. Um, I know you talked to him a little bit about the blocking on that play. Yeah, you know, it was a lot of fun watching that play. And that's another thing that when you see the All-22 video, and if people aren't following Zach Hicks on Twitter, it's at Zach Hicks 2, I believe. They really need to do that. Uh, he's really great at breaking down film and, and getting clips out there for people to see. He has an All-22 version of this play. And you watch Quentin, which is always fun to do anyway when he's pulling. He's so athletic. That's one of the things that, that, that he doesn't get enough credit for. This is one of the most athletic offensive linemen in the league. And the Colts use that to their advantage wherever they can. They drew this play up in many ways. Uh, it was a recent addition. He wouldn't tell us how recent because that was obviously private information. But a recent addition to the playbook. And it's designed to use his ability to pull. They get out into that flat and and get him one-on-one -on -one with the defensive back, which is probably the most unfair matchup in the NFL right now. And all credit to Isaiah Oliver. He made a business decision. It was definitely a smart one. Nelson said after the game was probably a smart one. I'll go the extra mile and say it was definitely a smart one to get down and get out of the way of the play because otherwise he might not be playing this week for the Falcons, and I think he understood that. You know, when, when Quentin Nelson's barreling down on you like a, like a freight train, your best decision is to get out of the way. 
But the thing about it that I didn't see until I saw the All-22, and it's just as much fun on that play, is what the three tight ends did. And if you get a chance, again, Zach Hicks, at Zach Hicks too, I know it's there, it's probably some other places, uh, to, to see that video clip, I've retweeted it too, so it's on mine, at GM Bremer. Uh, the, all three tight ends kind of go in at once into the defensive line, and you just see the defensive line disappear. Even Eric Ebron gets a, a pancake block, and it's kind of funny because he stands up afterwards and, and in true Eric Ebron fashion kind of admires his work, almost like, look what I did. Uh, but the, the entire defensive line is wiped out of the play, and that's what makes that one-on-one with, with Nelson in the corner. And Mac, there's no one that has a chance to touch Mac for 25 yards. It's a 26 yard run and he's wide open for the first 25 yards. Uh, it's incredible play design. And it's something that I think we talked a lot in the summer and in the spring, uh, about the three tight ends and, and if they're all healthy, what they can do together. That was an example of what an impact they can have on this game too. In conjunction with that offensive line, uh, it's really a thing of beauty. If you get a chance to see the all 22, uh, view of that play. I can't recommend it enough. All right. I think that wraps up our first segment. When we come back, we're going to go inside the locker room. It's time to go inside the locker room with CNHI Sports Indiana's George Bremer. All right. We are back here on Horseshoes and Hand Grenades, and I had the extreme pleasure after the game of catching up with two of the day's stars. Marlon Mack, of course, had that 26-yard run we talked about earlier and a touchdown run. Uh, in the fourth quarter that really helped kind of put the game out of reach. And then Clayton Gathers, who had an interception early on in the game, kept took some points away from the Falcons in the game. The Colts only won by three points. There was a theme with both of these uh, eventually in that we talked about this team's ability to, to sort of overcome whatever adversity is thrown at it. Uh, you see it all the time. You saw it during the game with defensive linemen seemingly dropping left and right. Of course, Malik Cooker, some other guys got hurt during that process. Nothing seems to affect this team for very long. They, they just keep their eyes on the prize. They keep moving forward. I talked about that with both Clayton and Marlon, but the conversation with Marlon started with me asking him about those stiff arms he threw on his four-yard touchdown run, and he had, as usual, a pretty fun answer. Uh, the stiff arm is pretty crazy, but as always, I try to do use stiff arm, man, keep guys away from you, man. It's one of the things I like to do. Is that just one, two at that point? You're just going to get in the end zone no matter what? Uh, yeah, exactly, man. Um, me actually taking out there, I knew for a fact. If I take this outside, I got to finish and make sure I get in that end zone. And that's what I did, man. Just believing myself and going one-on-one against the corner. And I make sure I had to finish. Last couple of weeks, the, the rushing numbers, maybe they're not crazy like they were in, yeah. in week one. But it seems like when you guys have to get a run, you're finding yeah. a way to do that. Uh, yeah, exactly, man. Uh, week, one, week one was a crazy performance. But with the run game in the NFL, man, people adapt and things change, man. You always got to be patient with the run game. And that's what we do, man. That's what we do here well. So be patient with it, and things will go well for you. What can you say about the crowd today? See what uh, about. Uh, it was amazing. I uh, love home fans, man. Been on the road two, two weeks straight, man. It's, it's crazy. It's a crazy feeling. But we finally got home and get a W in front of our fans. What is it about this team that makes you guys so resilient? It just seems like things get thrown your way. Sometimes in the middle of the game, T.Y. goes down, yeah. defenders go down, and, and you just keep chugging along. Oh, uh, man, Coach Frank, man, since camp, always teach us, man, uh, it's going to be a mountain climb. Uh, when the guy go down, man, we, we know we go miss our brother, but next guy, now it's time the next guy stand up, man, because the other team is not going to show us no, no leeway. So they definitely go come out, and that's what we try to do, trusting each other, trusting ourselves, and just going out and perform. Thanks a lot. No problem. Thank you. I know this defense is always designed to not give them the big play, but today it seemed like were you really just trying to, to lengthen drives, make them go down the field in, in smaller chunks? Yeah. Uh, 
I wouldn't say I say we just execute it, you know, play our game. Uh, we know they got a great receiving core, good backs, you know, good quarterback, and, you know, we just had to go out there and execute it. Seems like somebody different in the secondary every week. Is that a sign of the depth that you guys have out there right now? Making big we got, plays? Yeah, we got, we, got a, we got a lot of people here, and uh, we, got, we got some talent here. You know, everybody can play. So, you know, we just getting out there and execute. We all together, you know. What is it about this team? It just seems like even you lose guys in the middle of the game, whatever goes against you, you keep chugging it. It doesn't seem like Absolutely. adversity affects this team. No. What you going to do? You know, adversity comes to everybody. And we always say, what you going to do? You going to stand up to it or you going to back down? And I feel like everybody on this defense, everybody on this team, you know, accepts that. We're going to step up to the challenge. Um, and that's what it is. You know, you come in, we got we to gotta rally together. You know, there's no one man. It's 11 versus one. So that's what we're preaching. That's what we believe. Is that just part of the DNA of the locker room now? Is it just natural? That's, that's what it is. You know, so I, I, I like it. I like to be a part of it. And, you know, it was just a great win today, and we just got to build off it. Congratulations. Thanks a lot. All right, thanks again to Clayton Gathers and Marlon Mack for their time in the postgame locker room. Uh, again, you know, you, you, you hear Clayton talk about it there at the end of that, that interview, but it's, it's something about this locker room, the DNA of this team, that bad things happen, and their first response is just, we got this. And I think you saw that throughout that game on Sunday. As many problems as they had on defense in the second half, the offense kept answering, got more points on the board. They found a way to win a game that really, when you look at the stats, maybe that shouldn't have been the case. Uh, but that's this is a battling team. Uh, it takes on the, the, the attitude of its head coach, and you see it every day. All right. Thanks again to our guests on Inside the Locker Room. When we come back, we'll head to our mailbag, the Pony Express. Delivering answers to all of your burning questions about the Colts and the NFL. It's the Pony Express. We're back with the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast. I'm your producer, Heather B., here with your host, CNHI Sports Indiana Colts beat writer, George Bremer. We're going to head to the mailbag now. And our first question comes from at PJCNTMPO. He says, thoughts on if the team will scale back max usage and workload as the season goes on. Also, Hilton update, percent chance he goes this week. Yeah, I think Marlon Mack's in the same boat as, as just about every offensive weapon on this team. They're kind of taking what the defense gives them every week, and they're, it's going to be a different guy who shines every time out there. We, you kind of heard him talk a little bit about that, uh, just how crazy week one was and how they're not going to do that every week on the ground. Uh, but, you know, I, I think – Yes, he'll be cut back in the sense that they won't have him carry probably 25 times every single week. And you saw that a little bit in the Falcons game. It really wasn't until late when when they started going back to him because Jacoby Brissett got so hot and they were riding the passing game for a while. But he's going to be the workhorse for this team all year long. As long as he's healthy, he's going to be the bell cow running back. I don't think this is going to be a committee approach uh, unless injuries kind of force them into that situation. As far as T.Y. goes... It's an interesting case this week. Uh, he's obviously dealing with a quad injury that was affecting him leading up to the game, re-aggravated at some point in the second quarter. Uh, he is saying that, you know, he's just kind of listening to the coaches and the trainers and he's going to do whatever they tell him to do. He didn't practice Wednesday. We'll see how that plays out through the rest of the week. Uh, but Frank Reich made it very clear that they're not going to give him rest this week if he's ready to go. Um, he talked about this being a very important game for this team, that it's an AFC opponent. Those games obviously count 
pretty big in tiebreakers when you start getting to playoff scenarios and things like that. And you're still, you know, yes, it's early in the year, but there's a big difference between being three and one going to Kansas City and being two and two going to Kansas City. And the Colts are well aware of that. So they want to notch this victory if they can. Uh, I think it's probably close to 50-50 whether he plays Sunday, but you give that nod to T.Y. just because you know you've seen before what he's willing to play through. And I think if there's any way physically possible that he can get out there on the field Sunday, he will. Our second question this week comes from friend of the show and voice of our intro and, and segment bumps at Radio ZT, Zach Johnson. He asks two questions. The first is who is the best Colt that never gets talked about as being the best Colt? Yeah, uh, you know, we were talking about this a little bit off the air earlier, and it's, it's a very interesting question. I would go with Denico Autry. I don't know if he never gets talked about, but I think he's not talked about enough. Uh, he's a monster in the middle of that defensive line, so much so that uh, somebody on the offensive line for Atlanta poked him in the eye on Sunday. I think that was probably the best way they could think of to slow him down. Uh, we won't name names there, but uh, Mr. Autry's not too pleased with that, nor should he be. Uh, but, you know, this is a guy, especially against AFC South opponents, he's got 10 sacks in just a little over one season now playing within the division, which is incredible coming from his spot in the middle. And he's going to be a big part of, of things moving forward. We talked about that pass rush needs to improve. A lot of that comes up front with the athleticism, the strength, uh, the way he uses his hands. Denico Autry can can get that pressure right up the middle. No quarterback on earth is comfortable seeing that. And uh, the more he can do that this year, the, the better it'll be for the Colts. He also wants to know who is the one guy nobody is talking about that everybody should be talking about right now. Yeah, which is sort of the same thing, right? I and mean, it's close to the same question. Uh, I would feel on that one, I, I say maybe Quincy Wilson. Uh, because his role is smaller than most right now. He's kind of playing all five defensive back positions. Uh, and he's got to come in, and, and he's never quite sure if he's going to be a corner or a safety and who he's going to match up on. And he's doing a good job with it. I mean, I guess supposedly, technically, he was charged with pass interference against Julio Jones at one point in that game. Uh, but I think everybody who saw the replay disagrees with that call, probably including Julio Jones. Uh, and that would have been a big play because it would have would have forced a, a field goal on the Falcons' last scoring drive and changed a lot about the way that game ended. But you go back even to the Tennessee game, and he's the guy who had defense on the pass that, that went a little high on Marcus Mariota. Part of the reason Mariota threw that ball high was Wilson was was step for step with the offensive player, and he was trying to get it up above him and obviously bounce off the receiver's hands and ends up ending that football game on fourth and two. The Colts take over and win the game. So, you know, I think Quincy Wilson has a very specific role he's playing, and he's playing it very well. All right, our next question comes from at a Hayflitch. He would like to know, why was Rock matched up with J.J. Julio Jones so often? Does Desir only play on one side? It seems like he would have been the better matchup in their zone scheme. Yeah, we've seen uh, Desir really do a good job when he's when he's been asked to shadow receivers, in particular DeAndre Hopkins, who he really had two great games against uh, in the last couple of years. But I think... A lot of it had to do with Desir's health. He was limited through the week, obviously, with a knee injury, had a little bit of a bone bruise going on there. And I think that they weren't – I don't think they wanted to ask him to go after Jones on every play. And I think once the Falcons realized that, that Desir wasn't going to follow Jones, then they tried to match him up against the rookie, which is just good, smart offensive play 
uh, on their part. I think that I my guess is that had to do with the health of Desir, and it'll be interesting to see how that plays out this week because he's dealing with a hamstring injury now that, that kept him out of practice Wednesday. And if he doesn't play on Sunday, that secondary is going to look a little different. Uh, but I do think that this was a, a, a pretty specific incident uh, dealing with, with Pierre Desir not being at 100%. All right, our next question was asked by two different people, so we're going to combine them here. Uh, one was from at Colts Dave thirteen, and the other from at two JUCD. What position group do you think will be the focus of this year's draft? Yeah, it's awful early, obviously, to even start thinking about the draft. This team right now is on a playoff track, and that's certainly where their minds are. So, uh, really, haven't gotten into much draft study at all. I, I know there are some already positions that people are talking about being deep or or being you know more valuable in this draft than others. I can say this, dating back to last year, I'd heard from some pretty reliable sources that Chris Ballard really likes the wide receiver depth in this year's group, uh, and that that's part of the reason why Devin Funches got a one-year deal in free agency, because they thought they might dip into that wide receiver core. Be interesting to see if that happens, given how deep the Colts are at wide receiver. Uh, you know how tough the cuts were coming down this year. And so if you added another first or second rounder into that group, it, I think it would be even more interesting training camp battle. Uh, but that's something that I've heard that I think will be interesting to see how that plays out uh, throughout the year. And then once you get into actual draft study. Um, but yeah, that, that's the only thing I've really heard in that regard so far. All right. Our next question comes from at Costa Filippi. He says, hey, George, how do you think the evaluation of Jacoby will go? Just results-based or beyond that? Kind of like KC with Alex Smith. Smith had the results, but they still didn't see him as their guy. What will be the main aspect of evaluation for Chris Ballard and Frank Reich? Let's say first thanks to him for the nice note about being happy to see the podcast back. And uh, we're happy to be back as well and happy to have some of our uh, – some of the people that are with us from the very first season to to come back and and, and be a part of all this. Uh, You know, I think with Jacoby, it's the same as every other position, really, at the end of the day. I I think Chris Ballard feels like he's always looking to upgrade anywhere. You know, even when Andrew Luck was the quarterback, if they could have found somebody that he believed would do the job better than Andrew Luck, he would have gone out and gotten that guy. I just don't know there were many people on, on this earth who could have done the job better than Andrew. So uh, that's that really wasn't something that came into play. It'll be interesting now. Uh, as far as the evaluation goes, I think it will go beyond the win-loss record. You know, I don't think it's going to be a matter. I think Alex Smith's a really good example Obviously, Chris Ballard was part of that front office in Kansas City uh, when Alex Smith came in and joined that team. He wasn't there when they made the decision to draft Patrick Mahomes, but we were with him uh, on draft day. He used to talk to us on, on Saturday morning of draft day. He changed that to after the draft, and for a lot of reasons, that's been better for us from the media standpoint. But he used to kind of get with us on Saturday morning and, and go over sort of the draft at that point, and then nothing was off off uh, topic at that point and I remember he was talking about the Patrick Mahomes pick because a lot of people were surprised I mean first of all like Smith was an established starter and there were a lot of questions about Mahomes that have since been answered and no one's really surprised the Chiefs made that pick now but back then there was a lot of kind of head scratching and you know what's this guy going to be and I remember Ballard said then if John Dorsey traded up to get him 
then he has conviction about the pick. You know, he wouldn't do this unless he feels like this kid's going to be a great quarterback. We've seen what happened. Dorsey's not dealing with the uh, rewards of that because he has since moved on to Cleveland, but we've seen what's happened out there in Kansas City. You can make a case that Mahomes, in just his second year as a starter, is the best quarterback in this league. He's certainly the most unique quarterback in this league. And I think that it would take that kind of situation for, for Ballard. I, I'm not saying he won't upgrade from Brissett because I think he will if he feels like the, the right guy is out there. But I think that it would take a really strong conviction on his part. He'd have to see a guy who he felt like could have a Patrick Mahomes-like impact, a franchise quarterback. There aren't many of those guys out there. If Ballard feels like there's one and it's at a spot where the Colts can afford to get him, either by trading up or by just using the pick they have, then I think he won't hesitate to do that. At the same time, I don't. if this makes sense, I don't think he'll be out there looking to upgrade it. You know what I mean? I, I think he'll take every opportunity. If something happens like when Aaron Rodgers fell to Green Bay and they said, well, we've got Brett Favre, but this is Aaron Rodgers and we better go ahead and take advantage of that, I don't think he'd hesitate to do it. At the same time, I don't think he's going to be scouting quarterbacks specifically looking for that that upgrade every year. So I hope that makes sense. Uh, but I think the other thing that's interesting, and we talked about this at dinner a little bit today, you and I, uh, I think this team's in a position where it can kind of take a lottery ticket approach if it feels like that's the case with a quarterback at some point. Draft a guy who's raw, who maybe needs a year or two to, to develop, get put him in this coaching staff's hands, let him develop in this offense and see what happens. And if you win the the you know $100 trillion jackpot, then it's going to be Patrick Mahomes for you. It's a great deal. If you don't, if you just get your money back and you can go buy another ticket, that's always a good outcome too. And if it's a total wash, I think the roster is strong enough that they can take that risk. So whether it's this year, next year, three years from now, uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how Ballard continues to address that quarterback position. You were watching quarterbacks in college all weekend, though, weren't you? <laughs> I have to admit that I was, and I probably will the rest of the year because I do not know the way he is. Uh, like I said before, I, I think it's not going to be totally stats-driven. It's not going to be totally record-driven. It's going to be that gut feel, and not just from Chris Ballard. Uh, you know, I should point out that, that the question included Frank Reich, and there's a very good point to that because he's going to be at least 50% of this equation. If there's a guy that Frank Reich feels like is out there and is perfect for his system and he really wants to coach that kid, you feel like Chris Ballard would go get him. You know, and in some ways, that's how Paris Campbell got here. You know, they, they've been pretty open about the fact that Frank Reich sort of fell in love with Paris Campbell during the combine. They went back and they watched the tape and they thought, here's a kid uh, that really fits our scheme and, and we're going to go and do that. I think quarterback will be the same way. So I do know that there's a lot of people out there that feel like this is a deep quarterback draft. And so maybe potentially that that makes Ballard feel like this is the time to dip your toe into that water. Uh, but at the same time, I don't feel like Jacoby Brissett should be looking over his shoulder. It's his job. It's his team to run. And, and I think, again, I think Alex Smith is a great comparison. The Chiefs were just fine with Alex Smith. They were winning football games with him. They were going to the playoffs. But when they found a kid that they felt like could take him to that next level, they jumped at it. It obviously was a very good move for the Chiefs. And I think the Colts would love to do the same thing if the opportunity arises. All right. That's it for our mailbag this week. 
Be sure to look next week for a tweet from George saying we're looking for more questions, and you can submit those at GM Bremer with the hashtag HHG. When we come back, we'll move on to the headlines that we need to see coming out of the Raiders game, and as well as George's prediction for the final score. Horseshoes and hand grenades, ranking this week's Colts news. We're back with the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast. George, what are the three headlines you need to see coming out of the Raiders game? Well, I think we we talked about one of them early on, and that is that they've got to be better on third down. They've got to be better with the pass rush. So something like Colts pass rush returns needs to be one of those headlines. They've got to get to Derek Carr. If they don't, he's going to shred them. You know, he's done it the last two times he faced this team. Last year in Oakland, he had a really big game, and if not for a ball that got knocked out late by Darius Leonard, caused a fumble and kind of turned that around – who knows how that game would have turned out and how the rest of the season would have turned out. So they've got to get to Derek Carr and affect him, make him uncomfortable in the pocket. So hopefully, for the Colts' standpoint, one of those headlines will be the pass rush returns. I'm just waiting for Justin Houston to have that game where we all remember why we brought him here. Uh, you know, I thought he was making progress against the Falcons. He never just could quite get there. Uh, it may have been with the blocking that was choking him, but you know, I guess that's an effective way to keep somebody from getting your quarterback. Uh, so what's your second headline? Uh, return of the Mac, because you go back to last year, this was one of the 200-yard rushing games for this football team. Marlon had a good game against Falcons. He was there when they needed him, uh, but he hasn't had a 100-yard day since that huge explosion uh, in week one. And I think this running game needs to get back up and running because, again, that's a, one way – to stop the Raiders is to get that pass rush back rolling. Another way is to run the football effectively, keep them off the field. One of the underrated things about the game on Sunday, the Falcons only had six possessions, three in each half. A lot of that had to do with the defense making the Falcons take the long route, long drawn-out drives, but a lot of that also had to do with the Colts having some long scoring drives of their own. And so get that running in rolling up again I think will be a big thing for Sunday. And your final headline for the week? Maybe something along the lines of Brissett does it again because the other part of that game, I thought last year the Oakland game on offense was one of the most complete games. They obviously had 200-yard rushing, but they also had three touchdown passes, to eat one to each of the three tight ends. So I think that's something that it was the first time that had happened in NFL history. They're able to pull that off again. That would be a really interesting thing to see. And obviously, if you can balance that rushing game with a big-time passing game, make the Raiders respect the deep ball, uh, that's going to go a long way. So if Jacoby Brissett can come back and have a game sort of like the one he had on Sunday, I think things will go pretty well for Indianapolis. All right, George, prediction time. Are the Colts 3-1 and one heading out of the Raiders game or 2-2? Two and two? I think they're going to be 3-1. and one. There's a lot of things going in their favor here. They match up well with this football team, uh, but also the Colts have won seven straight at home. It's kind of a quiet thing dating back to last season, but this team was built to play at Lucas Oil Stadium, and I think we're starting to see some of the results of that. They're starting to show that. I think they've scored at least 23 points in each of those games. Uh, the offense just seems to be better when it gets on that turf and can take advantage of its speed. So I'm going to say... 31 to 20 this week for the Colts. All right, 31 to 20. That is George's prediction for the week. And that wraps up Horseshoes and Hand Grenades for this week. Uh, Before we go, I'd like to send a shout out to a friend of mine uh, in the photo room. Matt Krieger, formerly now of the Indianapolis Star, has moved on to take a job with the Pacers. 
Uh, most of you, if you follow the Colts, you have seen his photos. Uh, he is incredibly gifted. He's a hero of mine. Uh, and I wish him the best with the Pacers. The Pacers fan gain is our loss, and we'll miss him around the media room. So that's it for this week. Remember to follow George on Twitter at GM Bremer. You can find George's content on any CNHI News Indiana website. And we'll leave you with the words of Ted Theodore Logan and Billis Preston Esquire. Be excellent to each other. You've been listening to the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast with CNHI Sports Indiana's George Bremer. For more Colts news and information, follow George on Twitter at GM Bremer. And join us next time for more of the Horseshoes and Hand Grenades podcast.